Mike Nelson, you are the handsomest boy I've ever known. And I would really like it if you and I could go out on a date. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we are discussing the 21st episode of Twin Peaks, Checkmate. We're now more than two-thirds through the whole run of the show. Oh, we're... Yeah, I guess that's true, because there's about 30 episodes. Yeah. Yeah, this... Um, again, if you're watching via the DVDs or Blu-rays, this is probably listed as episode 20. It is. I confirmed this last night. Ah. Uh, this episode was written by Harley Payton. It was directed by Todd Holland. It first aired January 19th, 1991. Oh, we are two weeks into the 1991 episodes of Twin Peaks now. Not that it really matters, because they just ran right through. Um, but we kept thinking that the show right. was, yeah, yeah, was yeah. later than it was. Mm-hmm. Um what happens this week, Chris? Some thrilling stuff. So in this episode, the sheriff's department executes a sting operation, James fixes a car, and Wyndham Earl finally does something. <laughs> Presumably it's Wyndham Earl. It's got to be Wyndham Earl. I mean, Earl. it's probably Wyndham Earl. Man, Wyndham Earl was apparently like the low-rent inspiration for the killer and true detective. I know. I was When I saw that, like... It it really felt Wyndham Earl like is like our first murderer era, hipster, like yeah, ser- like television serial killer or like seven. You know, I mean, it's just one of those like stylish, kind of I don't know, like sort of post Silence of the Lambs serial killers. Where they had the one up, the kind of like right. stylishness of Hannibal Lecter to make it like to make every kill an art project. Basically, is is like the thing that happened in serial killer fiction. It rings so hollow to me after, like, I was thinking about when you were writing the episode description, I was thinking about saying, like, and Twin Peaks is, like, sees its third murder, like, to somehow sort of tie right. it really shittily into yeah, except, Lori and Laura yeah. and Maddie. Except that... It's so... Man. It's so... It's um, it's just so schlocky. The other, the other murders on this show are not that at all. I mean, the show is, like, kind of pulpy and, like, is... Uh, the show but, can be schlocky, but, like, the, the, the actual murders of those two girls right. were like the some of the things that most the schlock in acutely the show, like punch through that into just like yes, and and our exactly. point of contrast Whereas this is totally just pushed to the edge like television ass television of the murderer has struck again i mean it's obviously this guy it's our first time we've seen him kill someone but that's effectively what that right. scene is yeah like It's the same killer from uh, Teresa Banks' murder. We know because of the calling card. The creepiest thing ever, a small magazine clipping under a finger. Already outrageous, by the way. Yeah, that's already pretty... And this time, the killer's calling card, a huge elk head and an entire chess set. And like three, two power outages and fires. All of yarns worth of like rigging. and Yeah. Uh, Cooper I, missed the magazine clipping letter underneath the fingernail this time because true. it was it was slightly it was buried under fifteen additional calling cards. <laughs> it's each finger had a different like different font and color magazine letter. That There's a full magazine into ad a ra- into a ransom note. <laughs> These hidden chess moves underneath the finger and toenails of the victims. That's a complete chess game. <laughs> uh, okay, so. I guess we can get back to that, although I don't know what the point is. I guess we just discussed it, so we don't need no, to we, later. We can talk about but, it a little bit at the end, I guess. But, but. <laughs> the thing I want to talk about is the opening of this episode, which I feel is a good segue from what we were just talking about in terms of Twin Peaks 
weirdly feeling like a different era of television. The opening to this show, we're is in like just... ba- we're in like bad X Files episodes now. Well, okay, so you know what the opening reminded me of? It reminded me of the introduction to like a cult sci-fi show, maybe a British one from like twenty years earlier, with like the the just weirdly intense. Uh, with like the like the biohazard symbols swirling or the radiation right. symbols swirling up in yes. flames, and yes. then uh, and then the voiceover like the voiceover the, that heavy breaks voiceover in like a jungle and a concept. throne, right? Yes, doesn't this all just feel like a uh, what are the what are the touchstones I'm thinking of? I should have looked up some of these these old weird like sci-fi intros before I did. Yeah, this, I know but, what you're talking about. But yeah, like it's like the I don't know Jerry Anderson era of like weird space yeah. thing. It's not the right touchstone, but like in, then also the sort of voice processed response on top of the slow pan of Briggs in the chair. The whole thing, if you could, you wouldn't even have to change the narrator that the narration that much to set it to like, just use that to set up some kind of intergalactic war. And major Briggs is the figure at the center of it. He's the like Admiral Adama character or whatever, but like there's a metaphysical thing going on. I don't know. I, it it really struck me as a like pre Star Wars, um, yeah, oh yeah, no had, crazy sci fi. Had, had he been present, but there also had been like one of those incredibly crisp sounding seventies narrators who's just like worlds beyond our galaxy, right. like or whatever. <laughs> exactly, just like yeah. that happened. Like mm-hmm. after his introduction was the cold open to then basically mm-hmm. like, but the budget a of the more show... metaphysical space nineteen ninety nine or something. Yes, exactly. But the budget of the show mainly just allows them to shoot in like a crazy rainforest that's supposed to be a different planet, right? And that's just what this. That's just it. Yeah, that opening the introduction of video effects in Twin Peaks. Yeah, <laughs> is weirding me out because I, admittedly, like Lynch set that precedent. I think. Oh, totally. With some of the weird, bad compositing early uh, mm-hmm. in, in, like... Oh, de- yeah, definitely. With, like, Leland's face turning into Bob's face and the owl cross-blend, but, like... Wait, so this this episode is directed by Holland, right? I forget his first name, but this person uh, has directed other episodes of Twin Peaks, correct? I believe that is the case. I Because I, because speaking of, of little um, touch, directorial touches that, that seem to have had precedent set by Lynch, I... In the uh, the opening scene, the end of the the well, I guess it's not the opening scene, but uh, the moment where Briggs is, um, you know, he's got that like biohazard scar on his neck, and when the guy from the military comes in to take him away, um, Cooper is looking at a Polaroid photograph of that scar and then water starts dripping on yeah. it and then from the fire and then it ominously shows the yeah the fire, and, and, and uh, you get the like big just kind of white noise with tons of reverb as the camera pushes in on the fire extinguisher and that felt to me a totally lynchian maneuver of just associating really abrasive sound design with a completely all-consuming close-up shot of something abstract of, of an abstract but mundane yeah. thing right yeah yeah um todd hall and i know directed laura's secret diary which was um one of the early episodes of this season, it was the one right. when I think mm-hmm. Leland's arrested for for the the early for his other murder that he's then let off on later. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't I don't want to jump around too much, but this this episode the the sort of re- well, <laughs> I guess they reappropriated lynches of, of bad video effects is not quite what I was talking about. What I was talking <laughs> about that, but like 
I because I don't want to blame David Lynch for that stuff, but man, there's an increase of it because of, like the little Nikki Dream pop up that we had. But then like Last that week, yeah. that swirling cheesy video opening of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so that was harsh, but. It, it it does almost feel this episode. Okay, so last week most of our discussion was devoted to the sensation we had that that episode of Twin Peaks, episode twenty, basically came from an alternate reality, like funhouse version of Twin of Twin Peaks. This episode does not. Last week, Twin Peaks as faulty towers or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Or, I guess this, you said Seinfeld, which is yeah, amazing. This this episode did not feel like that to me, but it did still feel like. They, it's like a show in search of its identity and ex- just trying exactly. on different things. Right. Yes. The, all that stuff at the beginning of the episode is so – that was so conscious and intentional. Like it required so much effort and specific intent to make all that weird video stuff at the beginning. Um, but it's, it's not really that Twin Peaksy at all. It's right. like something that someone said, I have an idea. I have a concept. Right. We're going to so do then, this. So then, yeah, then and, the yeah. actual reappropriated lynchisms like the shot of – the the sp- of the sprinkle the sprinkler or yeah or like there's a stoplight changing shot in this episode which like I actually was offended that it was included in this episode because like <laughs> James had the, his scene with the with the woman with the car and then I think they're about to sleep together and then it cuts the stoplight turning red and I actually just like said fuck you to my TV <laughs> I was like I was mad and then again like last week this week's episode ends with like. The lights going, or was it two weeks ago? The lights going out and things getting really dramatic, and right, like, and that happened again, and here. like lights flickering on and yeah. off, and with Leo and Shelley, and like that felt so out of character for the rest of this episode that suddenly it was like it just went into some of the the more mm-hmm. Twin Peaks space, but then it was used to reveal the cheesiest murder of all time. Right. I don't know, it's. Oh, you mean the Windermere stuff? Yeah, well, I mean because yeah. the lights start going off and on too, which create that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You get the the Shelley and Leo scene, which we should talk about in a, in a little bit. But then the cause of it was Wyndham Earl right. setting a fire in the right. power station or something to then turn off the lights in the sheriff's station to, mm-hmm. to set the scene for his right. art crime. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, it's true. <laughs> uh, do you want to start running through stuff? Yeah, let's talk about the uh, whole sting thread, right, with Ernie Niles. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, I like that somehow Ernie Niles is just – a long-standing repeat character now. Someone on the forums. Someone on the forums said one of those characters you never remember. Yeah, this, years later. Yeah, I didn't remember any of this thing storyline. Someone, someone said this character feels like he fell off the love boat, and now he's suddenly <laughs> a main character on Twin Peaks. Was yeah. what someone said in the forums. It's totally true. It's completely true. I the the way like that, this like huckster con man, super old guy, like feels like he's from a different generation of actor. Yeah. Yeah, and well, yeah, for sure. So speaking of different generations, Hawk makes like an offhand comment about how he's how he's sweating a bunch, and that like launches him into this whole "there I was in the Korean War," and right? <laughs> I've got this sweat disorder. Like it, it was such a strange moment to me. It was like kind of Twin Peaks ish in the sense that characters are just this like font of kind of anecdotes and stories and so on, except that it's from just a totally different experience than any of the characters. Like, yeah. Twin Peaks version of a military veteran is, is Major Briggs. And then, meanwhile, this guy is like the Korean War, which, right. is, is, totally, which is fine. It's a totally yeah. – reminds you what a different world we've entered into in this show now. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about this thread. I really, really, really like how uh, David Duchovny uh, plays Denise – coming in as Dennis. I love that when he comes in, I'm sorry, when she comes in, 
as him. Um, I love that she is like almost delighted to sort of be trying on this other identity right, that like was being, formerly her actual identity. Right. And Cooper again actually seems completely like like on the same wavelength in a way that right. feels really good. Yes, totally. I I love that. I thought that was yeah, a really that, nice. Yeah, human Denise touch. is tr- like effectively feels like trying on Dennis or even if that is not Dennis it's just because it feels right. like feels, feels like a just, snappy like drug dealer suit it's just like a completely other yeah. thing it was mm-hmm. good I, I love that I yeah that was David Duchovny continues to be like to really elevate that character the thing think, that is yeah. good about this part of the show yeah man definitely yep <laughs> and then I guess there's another thing where the Cooper is involved in another thing where Cooper gets has shot something again. out like Cooper is just <laughs> What if you are like Mama Renault? Like if you're the Renault's elderly mom living up in French Canada somewhere, and there's just this FBI agent murdering your children. Well, he basically I guess he doesn't kill uh, Jacques Renault. I mean Jean uh, Renault essentially that's his whole thing. He gives this whole monologue about just like what the hell happened? I had this whole thing going on where like I sold drugs to people and everyone was happy about it, and then man, you came in and everything goes to shit. His monologue is so shitty though. Yeah, well. Like, I mean it just it felt like such a just like missed stab at trying to come up with a uh, a villain's approach because he's because we've we've seen twin peaks when laura palmer is not around for for an uncomfortably long period of time we've been subjected to seeing what the right. what this world is like and it is not anything resembling anything that jodoro has claimed that it is because <laughs> twin peaks without laura palmer is more unhinged and ridiculous uh like or when her murder is not the focal point, I don't know. I mean, I right. It's 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 the, it's the monologue that you give to that villain character, I guess. But like, well, yeah, it's totally cheesy. It's the like the Joker, like you created me, Batman. I wouldn't even exist. I was just a lowly member of like a multi generational cocaine cartel in a city known <laughs> right. for having a deep seated evil in it, where high school students are dealing just hard <laughs> drugs to each other, and I'm profiting off of it through this like porn. Like sex den that I also am associated with. Anyway, when you showed up, uh, things got really bad when you started investigating <laughs> my crimes. <laughs> like, here's how I'll win you over to this speech, though. He hilariously pronounces Twin Peaks as Twin Peak. <laughs> That's true. Which I hope was done because in French, the S is generally silent at the end of plural words. I hope that that's the reason why. I hope that he just, that's just how he says plurals in English. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then Ernie's wire starts smoking. Things go crazy. Yep, that's wacky. And then Denise comes in and they, what is this? Like, uh, what, do you, what are you trying to remember? The line that is said when they're like, because uh, Denise comes in dressed in double R diner apparel mm-hmm. to deliver food. Right. A lame plan, whatever. Yeah, then that was so, Cooper the, the lame thing about kills. That, that, that everyone was so credulous. Like, there was no questioning or like, where did this, how did they do this so fast or anything? It was just... Right, she like, walks that's in the, and they're like, the, great. That's the thing you do if the hostage situation has been going on for like three days. Right. But then uh, the thing that I enjoyed was that Cooper grabs the gun, kills John, and then someone says, great work, Denise. And then David Duchovny says, it was just my legs. Yeah. <laughs> because great. I guess it was Truman's plan. Right. But like, it was it was cheesy. But again, like I felt like Duchovny's delivery of that line completely like... Saves oh, yeah. that from the jaws of just dis- disastrous... Mm-hmm crap yep definitely um the only other observation i had about this entire thread and i guess it's connected to the um to the windermere stuff 
is that this is the like this is the first time in many episodes that Lucy has any role in the episode at all that has anything to do with what her character was originally oh, established she's been, as being. she's been searching classifieds to try and investigate any, any well, there's chess that, moves, well, right? Well, there's that, but the, yeah, well, yes, that's true, which is actually, so there, I guess two things, because there's that, which is, she's often been employed in the past to kind of help with that, like, logistical side of investigations, but then there's also, or like data mining, I guess, but then there's also, when they get back from the sting operation, she goes on, like, an absolutely classic, just like, Lucy, exhaustive breakdown of like and then there were two fires and the electricity went out but i had to go fix the thing and then this caused like three more problems and she's talking like throughout multiple right, different because shots they then like, wander like she, through into the into the background right, into truman's she's office still listing stuff off yeah. i really liked that it was just uh it's stupid but it was almost like oh she still is like that person right who that's she also actually why her character is like, good because an entire season like that actress is so good at pulling those off and making them actually funny and interesting well yeah and making it seem like she's kind of tr- like rooting through the list in her head and pulling them out one by one right but actually having this entire ridiculous thing memorized presumably yeah yeah it's good. it's better than her just being miffed by people yes, it's being... better than her just stomping around glaring at andy and dick yeah uh, Do you want to talk about andy and dick yeah i guess what an outrageous <laughs> okay i really liked this <laughs> I feel bad for liking it because it's so bad. <laughs> no, I like. I like that Andy and Dick are like in a farcical investigation. Yes, like, uh, private like, Eye, I think. I liked it for the same reason. I liked the shot that cut to uh, Dick last week on the like blanket fixing a car. When when we see first see him in this episode, and he's in just the most he's dressed as like Inspector like, Gadget outfit. Yeah, yeah, like conspiratorially uh, <laughs> continuing to implicate Andy into his whole like hypothesis and suspicions yeah it he loves it so much he can't get enough of being this guy i know like it's it's nice to just have he gets to even sneak into an office and look through a filing cabinet while wearing his hat and his overcoat i know and then someone else comes in and they have to pretend that they're the right. adoption agency and he calls andy woody has he called him that before i don't think so did he just pull that out of his I, out of his head that was yeah. funny i i was actually so i I was so into it that I was actually hoping that when that family came in and said, we're here to pick up our kid, like, and then Dick just says, oh, he's dead, dead tired. I was hoping that that would actually just spin off into a C thread where Andy and Dick had to like have a whole conversation where they went through a file or they escorted that family around to the hospital. Like I was just like, give me it, (laughs) give me it. Just like, let's just go for this. Let's just do this. I know. I'm so bought in, but instead it was just like played for a gag and dismissed it. It Totally. I was actually really disappointed. Like when the way that ended was by like, just now where were we? And then cut. And then that's the end. Yeah. They don't actually, that was such a bummer. Man, so much stupid stuff with that James thread could have been killed in favor of Andy and Dick <laughs> having to play as two weird professionals yep. in an adoption agency dressed yep. as a sheriff's officer and a private investigator. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Even though it's so bad, at least, like... We're basically now, at this point, just assembling our coterie of characters for the ridiculous Twin Peaks spinoff or spinoffs at this point. Like, do you want to talk about the whole... <clears throat> Well, I don't know. I was going to say sort of Ben Horn, but that's so tied into all of the Shelley, Leo, Bobby. Like that stuff is all kind of – to me, the – like It's all kind of one thread at this point. And also yeah. Catherine ties Catherine into it in this episode. In, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm actually glad that a lot of that stuff is kind of mushing back together into something coherent. But I also still don't really care about any of it. I kind of agree. Although, man. Okay. I guess like let's start with the stuff that is – actually relevant and worth caring about in my opinion which is shelly johnson yes 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 because what a depressing 
whole yep. life the, she the, has. Um, Man. The forums, uh, someone on there said that we talk about Norma a whole bunch, but their their favorite character in the show as far as being an actual human is Shelly, and they feel like we don't give her Purdue. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I think that's – I think that I mean, we probably think we talk, I think we probably talk about Norma way more, but Shelly is definitely the other character of yes. that type. And like it's true. this episode was uh, like <laughs> the bleakest point on the Shelly scale. Because yeah. they, they're already – Notable though, the scene opens with "Invitation to Love." I know, but then they didn't do anything with it. I know you it, just hear it the was just. Intro. I think it was just there to to like to it. just be like just a reminder that Shelley's yeah. life is this. That's true. Yeah, like, that's true. Actually, that's a really good point. Like, because, "Invitation to Love" comes on, and then it was just like a dump truck of couple just... like disaffected <laughs> middle age. Like they just felt like they'd been in a marriage for twenty or thirty years, and ev- like. You know, Bobby is basically just ready to just give up at this point. Yeah, but it's been like has four days. That's how I, much of a shit Bobby is. I know, is. Like, I know. Man. He's just the worst. He creates this situation where, like, he gets – I mean, he's just – it's a classic thing, right? He gets her so excited about all of these plans, and then as soon as they aren't instantly completely successful, he's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, like, and Bobby just, leaving Shelly alone. Just, all the shit still. I feel like – I don't know how deliberate it was, but if, I feel like the way that all that stuff was shot – Really focused on it being inside of their still unrenovated, like half oh, re- yeah. half extended house. It was yeah. just these scenes of Bobby and Shelley yelling with Leo's plastic like drywall tarps still just yeah. there, and it's just well, and like he's wearing the lowest rent shirt and tie. Yeah, like it's all it's all just like makes it everything look like the just the shittiest. Yeah, and then saddest. He, most... he screams at Shelley about how he's Ben Horn's like golden boy, and then he goes to visit Ben Horn, and it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what a farce of a person bobby is at this point like how pathetic yep absolutely (laughs) oh man i was so glad that shelly smacked him across the face i know it was so nice like my happiness that shelly smacked him across the face totally justifies invitation to love being on in the background because i'm like that's right you tell him shelly like (laughs) whatever yeah totally deserved yep yep (laughs) oh gross um I bet the guy who plays Leo is pretty happy to have something else to do now instead of just be covered with cake and soup yeah. and bu- bubble things through his lips. <laughs> I guess we could jump all the way past all the other Ben Horn stuff and just talk about that because I thought that was actually really well done and I really liked – The scene where he's revealed? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it, it was actually quite creepy. Yeah, it was It was super creepy. I mean it, it like – it sucks that the, the electricity and the lights going on and off is sort of like coded visual language inside of Twin Peaks. Yeah. So that you can't help but be like, okay, I know right. that were this executed by David Lynch, it would be better. But just like for TV show creepy sequence, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And I yep. liked that Leo apparently is just a malicious motherfucker because like he puts a wacky clown in his right. chair. Yep. He puts all of his clothes. Bed, right? Or yeah, and and then he, and then in his chair he puts just a pile of his clothes right. and then he puts his party hat back on. Yep. Like So yeah, how much perception did he have? He apparently like cuz yeah. he was making noise with all this. But yeah, that just means like I know everything. Is basically yeah. what that sequence is is yep. telling you cuz like yep. Leo like also it just like it plays to a bunch of that style of horror tropes. Hilariously, it oh, actually yeah, it plays clown. to the yep. plays to the horror tropes that are the introduction to "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Basically, <laughs> like <laughs> creepy swinging stuff and abandoned clothes and like birthday hats and clowns and stuff. But yep. like, <laughs> yeah, Leo just like ah oh, man, yeah, just poor Shelley, basically. <laughs> but yeah, the actor who plays Leo is probably happy that he can, he can act. act. Yeah. 
so the Ben Horn stuff, man. So the reason I brought this whole thread up is because Ben Horn at this point definitely is another another character for the spinoff. Like he is just could not like Audrey comes in to actually try and like get his business back on track. He does not have time for that. He is fighting important battles with General Lee and whoever else he was talking about. Yeah. What a weird thing. And then when um, – was it when – I don't know. I think it was when – I guess it was when Audrey came in that he was like sitting on a chair on top of the mantle or something. It was some crazy thing. Just every time every time we join – He's up that, on that throne. Yeah. Every time we join that character, they have to think of like a new weird thing for him to be in the middle of. Yep. That's about it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I guess – Um. To the tiniest note, when Audrey calls on the phone and says, get me Jerry Horn, I was so sad that she didn't say, get me Dr. Jacoby. But then I was really happy when <laughs> later on she's like, Jerry's coming in in a couple days. Jacoby's coming by tomorrow. I was like, yes, because all that I want now <laughs> right, yeah. is Dr. Jacoby to examine Ben Horn and give us his diagnosis of right. Ben Horn. Yeah, right, because right, like right. that scene, if it yep. is in the show, will hopefully be good. Yep. Nope, because Dr. Right. Jacoby actually seems like a sane voice of like – at least he has – uh, there's a method to yeah, his madness. Yeah, there's a framework for how he interprets things. So, like, instead I of just, I want Doctor Jacoby yeah. to come in and weigh in on what the hell is happening to this right. world and to these characters at this point. Yep. But <laughs> other than that, <laughs> there's just. I'm actually just going to really quick before we move on to something else, I'm going to tack the Josie stuff onto this because oh, because Catherine also comes in and like yes. starts flirting with him, and I don't understand what that play is at all. Right. No, I don't. I don't either. So the the Josie stuff. So the first thing with Josie, Josie that stuff. was gross oh, man yeah with truman just being like super gropey and rapey yes so <laughs> at this point josie josie at this point her character is being written with the implication that there is something almost like physical about her that basically causes everyone around her to be unable to do anything but take advantage of her at all costs like Everyone who everyone who interacts with her at this point is either completely dismissive of her or exerts power over her, whether they think it's for her own good or not. Well, in this case, she's like, actually saying, no, stop, no, stop. And Truman just like goes in I for the kiss, like just that. runs his hands yeah, over, just like grabs her. It's right. just like, Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, it's real. The whole thing is, <laughs> is she even even she herself at this point is is talking down to herself. When she's just like, I'm not good enough for you. Like everyone, including herself, seems to be dedicated to the pursuit of devaluing her as a human being. It's really disgusting. Yeah. It's a bizarre, like obsessive thing the writers are doing with this character at this point where it is just relentless. And it yeah. is strange. She yeah. has absolutely no other function on this show other than to be debased. Yeah. it's. <laughs> she just makes everyone around her terrible, no matter who they are. Oof. But she's not doing it. No, but I'm saying the, she's written as though like yes. there is like some magnetic power she has that causes this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's anyway. just. And then Catherine visits Ben, and like, <laughs> so I hope that she. I can't remember what happens with this because I don't remember any of this shit. I hope that this is another double cross from her because if she, if the way she expresses her revenge against Josie is to just be the most like just condescending, disgusting person ever. And then the way she expresses her revenge against Ben is to be like, but anyway, you're still great. Then that's yeah, terrible. Man, I assume that's not the case. This had better be to extract something out of Ben that we don't know. Right, yeah. Or like a weird moment of weakness on her part where it is genuine and she thinks she's being played, but then like Ben comes back. Like this had better be something and not just Catherine just, yeah, being an atrocious individual yeah. forever. Or maybe it is, and the show's just yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, ooh, we're running out of stuff. We got James. So the only good thing about the, well, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion about this stuff anymore. But the <laughs> the, the thing that I liked about the end, this whole James thing, there are two things. One was there was a great unusual establishing shot that was a long pan. That was beautiful. Across, yeah, it really and was beautiful. I wrote that in my notes that that was beautiful, and then I was so sad that it revealed to be James. I know. Who was I know. I was like, oh shot. man, what is this going to be like? What <laughs> scene is this going to introduce? Oh, oh, James. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. There's another thing. So the thing that, that that actually does introduce is James calling Ed on the phone. Am I wrong? Did I like mishear something? He calls Ed and he's like, I need you to get all the money out of my savings account. And then you hear this little voice from the other end of the phone that's like, there's only $12, James. And he's like, well, whatever's left. Oh, I don't- what do you mean whatever's left? Are you going to get him to send you 12 Like he's going to go to all the trouble of sending you $12? What are you going to do with $12? I didn't hear that. Someone write in and tell me if I completely am like missing. I could. I was like flabbergasted. This is. It's just the most ridiculous. Okay. It's like, well, whatever's left of there. It's it's twelve dollars. That's what's left. Well, whatever's Whatever in there, just send it all. Just all of it. Okay. Yeah. There's not so, enough to bother. We got to jump ahead in this to James fixing the car because that scene was the most collect the the most intense collection of absurd. James acting legitimately bashful and James not knowing how to act moments. Uh, was this the scene where he had the oil on his face? Because no, it's uh, maybe, it was when he brings her out blindfolded. Okay, well, I don't want to skip to that because I want to talk about how okay. before that, when he's in the garage and he's got the oil on his face, it, he's like giving this big monologue where he's looking straight into the camera and he's got oil on his face, but it doesn't look like it's the result of actual mechanic work. It literally looks like the makeup person just took their thumb and just like streaked <laughs> two things of oil on his face. It almost looks like it's intended to like... <laughs> He's like a cosplayer cosplaying as a comics character and they put lines on his face to accentuate the right. like his jawline or something. Like it's just it 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 just makes his already wooden nothing of just staring into the camera and speaking blankly uh even more ludicrous. Okay. Also we learned Donna is gonna look for him. Anyway, yeah. now we can talk about the scene okay. you want to talk about. This scene is just there's nothing to say about it as a scene to me other than just the insane collection of just discordant, weird, weird <laughs> stuff that's going on. Because he leads the woman out blindfolded and then asks her to take her blindfold off because he's fixed the car. He's got the champagne and two glasses, which then they have like – like he he pours her champagne. He's – they're amazingly clean champagne pours, by the way, which is the stu- <laughs> like per- perfectly topped. That actor, yeah. I guess, the one thing you can do is pour champagne quickly so that it doesn't uh, overflow and spill out of the glass. Right. But then they have some exchanges where, like, again, James, the actor, just feels like he's just actually overpowered by the presence of this woman near him because it's just like the darkiest, darkiest right. smiles that feel like they're not acting, and it's just like him not knowing what to do with himself. Right. But then when she starts coming on to him, yeah, like. I guess to get rid of the champagne, he pours the champagne glasses out, but it looks like he's pouring them in disgust because I don't think that actor knows how to nonchalantly do anything. So he just like goes, huh, nah. like he just like s- throws them on the ground. I thought that he was then going to like throw the glasses on the ground and walk away. But instead, like he presses her against the car and they start kissing. Right. It was just like, oh no. This is also the scene where she tells him like, James, you have such an honest face. Like, I can think of a hundred reasons for you to stay. Well, okay, there's that, but then there's she's like, you look at your face and you can see exactly what you're thinking. I know, and it's tr- it's so <laughs> true, but not because of the character. It's because the guy can't act. Well, it's because he's must. I don't think he's ever thinking anything. I know. 
I think he's I think he's thinking is like um, and then it turns out that that she and her brother are somehow have some play in right. James. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was a really creepy nude silhouette of her earlier uh, in oh, between that's those true. two when scenes. He's in bed. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, whatever. There's a double cross going on. Spoiler alert. Yep. Surprise. Oh man. Um. Okay. So I feel like the last thing. <clears throat> there's Norma and Ed. Yeah. There's no okay. There's yeah. There's Norma and Ed and, and Nadine. Nadine and Mike. Yeah. Um. I'm really glad that Nadine and Mike exists only because I'm glad that the actor who plays Mike is somehow back on the show as a recurring character. <laughs> just to just be like put upon by this yeah. woman? Yeah. If you are the actor who signed on to the pilot of Twin Peaks as Mike, as this, is not, Mike. this is not where you're expecting <laughs> your life is. Like Anyway, you're now going to be the boyfriend of some middle-aged woman with superpowers. The like forcible boy... The- <laughs> Like, enlisted boyfriend. Yeah. yeah, just conscripted. Okay, so, yeah, conscripted is what I was looking for. So, um, okay, I have a question about Nadine's character. We are meant to understand that when she was an actual teenager, Nadine was in love with Ed, but was completely insecure and bashful about this and did not, like, was totally incapable of acting on it until that moment where they went away for the right. weekend because Ed was hurt. So why it feels now like she's hyper is confident she, now. Yeah, like are we supposed to, are we are we meant to, to 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 understand this that she in gaining super strength maybe it is because like she gained, can now like, be a star cheerleader and a star wrestler and all these things yeah, cuz now she, cause be she's it. like yeah. Ed doesn't seem like he really has time for me. It's like he's just at home and at work all the time is what she says to to Mike. So now mm-hmm. it seems like this is like this weird not like not conscious and not vengeful realization of some just generic high school fantasy life but it feels like it is it is for some reason she's just feels empowered to just be this like just all singing all dancing high school wish fulfillment machine except that she's a super powered like early 40 like 40 something right yeah it's it's strange because when because ed and norma have like a pretty extreme heart to heart they sleep together Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to skip to that just yet. Because uh, well, I wanted to just talk about it in terms of Nadine okay, and, okay, and Nadine sure. yeah, and, yeah. and Mike. Okay. Because if you're like when Nadine shows up and beats the shit out of Hank, mm-hmm. all that I was thinking about, like at first I was like, oh, this is going to be really tragic. And then I was like, I don't know if Nadine really even cares about Ed in like an infatuated way anymore. Like I wonder what – like I the, the complete insanity of the structure of all these relationships at this point – Ed and Norma feels way less tragic to me now that Nadine is like self-sufficient is self-sufficient and is like chasing after other men, even though it's, even though it's insane. Like it feels like it's totally, it feels like, like Nadine is now almost like a a, a relative that Ed has to take care of, but she's not necessarily a romantic tie. Like she's not interested. Ed's not interested. She's literally basically a different person at this point. Right. I wonder if they're going to try and keep Norma and Ed with the same tragic gravitas that it had before because it's not well, they, they definitely address that in this because, I mean, so their initial – their first scene that Ed and Norma have together was kind of nice in the sense that it felt almost like the first – one of the first times their interactions were sort of stilted. Like they both – things have become so odd that they're both sort of aware of that and they'd like – Right when that scene opened, because I didn't remember what I don't remember any of this stuff from when I watched the show before, and uh, like she gives him the scene, the note that says we have to talk. But bef- but even before that happened, I'm like, man, 
just the way they're looking at each other suggests that something is has to boil over here. Um, which is just a reminder that I just love how those characters play these like little looks. I feel like they communicate, yep. they still communicate more with each other that way than a lot of characters on the show do yep. with like huge monologues. Um, but then, and then when they get it out in the open, it's like the most melodramatic scene they've ever had together. Where like, like you first, you first, that right? Stuff. Yeah, and there's like the piano arrangement of the, of the Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks theme. Oh playing, man! Like, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, invitation to love might have also been on in the background of that right. scene. Yeah, exactly. Oh man! Also, uh, so after uh, Nadine, okay, so like before, okay, Hank's appearance at all is revealed when it's when he is just there like Hank five is, feet away in the room. And I know walks away that Hank was like, bad play, Ed. Anyway. It's like, what? Is there a back door? That happens at least one other time in this episode, and I can't remember when, but there are two times in this episode where someone was just there in the room. I, I can't believe I'm, I can't remember what it, what it was because okay. I'm terrible, but like, it totally happens twice in this show. Anyway. That all happens. I think that's. I think we pretty much uh, got it all, didn't we? Oh, it's worth pointing out that um, when Major Briggs is being interrogated, what he does is classified. Uh, yes, I wrote this down because they go. He, it's like Cooper says, "What exactly does your work involve?" And then he says, "That information, as I have repeated endlessly to myself and to the audience of this television show, is classified." Also, I, I just as further evidence that they don't think they have any idea what they're doing in terms of actually describing Briggs's relationship to the government or the military or this research or anything. And I think they're just making it up as they go along, or at least have only a very thin outline. He says his work with project blueprint, the like remnants of this UFO military research program is quote unofficial. No, it's not. It's super official. Well, it's project super blue book also, which is actually oh, a blue real book. Thing. Sorry. Okay. Well, okay. Whatever though. It doesn't, I mean, that's okay. So I, I didn't know that, but it, that doesn't really yeah, change my blue point. book is like, like the search for UFOs and transmissions yes. from extraterrestrial. I don't understand what he stuff. means. If his work is unofficial, how could it be classified if it's unofficial? If it's classified, it's super official. Right. It's in and fact, like, it's yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's above like if it, I was in project blue book, but then that stopped, um, but I unofficially classify – what that actually just means is you're in a new ultra-classified – Right. You're in a sub -oper like super, super operation yeah. of Project Blue Book. Right. I just – it's just the whole – all this stuff is just like blah, blah, blah words that just comes out of the, yeah. these characters' mouths and means nothing. <laughs> I like that – again, to that to your point of it just um, being sort of <laughs> bent into the shape that it needs to be bent into where he's like – but in the case of Twin Peaks, the transmissions are not extraterrestrial. They're coming from the woods, but the same thing that Project Blue Book uses, you yep. can find But those. I'm looking under the earth. like Which, um, again, lost in the movies, like the, the, a guy on our forums who is a just font of Twin Peaks incidental knowledge completely confirms that that is entirely because they mentioned extraterrestrial stuff on a whim because some of the people involved in the show thought that was a good idea and then tamped <laughs> it back down. Yep, there you go. Um, so... <sighs> Yeah, even the even even though I already knew, even though we it, we already as viewers of the show were aware that the extraterrestrial stuff was like a red herring, it still really bummed me out when they just said the words extraterrestrials or aliens or whatever they said. Yep, and I just had to hear an explanation of this again, and I'm like, I it's it's already not about this. Like, stop right. talking about aliens. Like, like it's, the show has nothing to do with aliens. If all the, if all the things are happening to Major Briggs that are happening to him, but then he just was talking to Cooper about it in terms of his better moments when he's not just blathering plot and is sort of just talking about what it means to him or like yeah. just 
so many of these events would be fine if they just would shut up. Right. I think. Yep. Yes. They were just kind of well, evocative. Stretching nothing over so many episodes. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway. Yeah. Um Is that it? I guess. I yeah, don't know. I don't think I have any. I else. think um we've probably gotta go. I don't know if we have I mean, I'm sure people have sent stuff in, but I don't know if we have time to do Yeah, Ritter, we have, we have a busy uh, to day do in the to do mail today, mail this gotta, week. Probably gotta wrap it up. But um but please do continue to send in your mail. We generally love to read it. Uh, you can do that. You can send that mail to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. And thanks for listening. Yeah. We appreciate it. If you like this, uh, tell a friend about it. Um, I guess it's funny to think about when we finish this whole run of this podcast, it'll just sort of, it'll be the only podcast that we do that will just sort of live as a standalone archive that is tied to a specific thing. Right. But so it's like it, it's in listenable, no way not in order. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com. You can find us on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch. Our uh, Facebook page is facebook.com slash twinpeaksrewatch. We're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash twinpeaksrewatch. And uh, consider rating us on iTunes if you think we deserve a good review. Yeah. Get ready for next week. Double play. Mm. Which I bet just – I bet – Wyndham Earl is going to be involved next week, hmm. given that he murdered someone this week. Hmm. Man, so nine episodes left. Yep, nine episodes on a movie. Crazy. Yep. All right. Anyway, see you guys next week. Bye.